Votre attention, s'il vous plaît. Nous allons maintenant revoir ensemble les procédures d'embarquement. Dès l'ouverture des portes automatiques, veuillez emprunter la rampe d'accès à la cabine. Avancez le long de votre couloir et occupez tous les sièges disponibles. Pour des raisons de sécurité, il est recommandé à tous les passagers de garder leur ceinture attachée pendant la durée du vol. Tirez la courroie située sur le côté droit de votre siège et bouclez votre ceinture à gauche. Le règlement intergalactique exige que tous vos bagages à main soient placés sous votre siège. Veuillez ne pas fumer à bord et ne pas utiliser d'appareil photo avec flash. Si vous désirez poser des questions, n'hésitez pas à consulter un membre de l'équipage. Nous allons décoller dans quelques instants. Merci et bon voyage. Welcome to episode 11 of the Magical Disneyland Paris podcast, all things magical and Disneyland Paris. I'm Andrew Williamson and I'm joined again by Simon West. Hello. The traditional spot where Simon says hello. Each Magical Disneyland yes. Paris podcast will have a different focus, be it an attraction, restaurant or special element of the Disneyland Paris world. This episode we are focusing on the recently closed Star Tours. We will also hand over to you, the listener, and discuss your views and opinions. Hello, Simon. Hello, again. again. Um, this is the classic spot where you then pause and I'm expected to say something profound and I never come up with anything clever. Um, we were really, we really, really, really wanted to record this before Star Tours in Paris actually closed. We didn't get around to it. We never do. We keep saying we'll do a podcast a month. We never do. <laughs> um, but I suppose this now means that, well, I, I don't want this uh, podcast to be an obituary, but it is something of a tribute to uh, an attraction that we've I think we're all quite sad to have lost, but equally we're very excited to see what comes next. Uh, definitely. Um, it's a good thing that we actually did leave it until the closing of Star Tours because we're our special guest that we're joined by tonight, uh, Chris von der Sonder, and uh, he was at the uh, closing ceremony and he is our resident expert here at Magical DLP of all things Star Tours and Star Wars. So, hello Chris, nice to have you on the podcast. Hi, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure. Very welcome indeed. Um, before we start with the, um, the traditional running of the podcast, would you like to give us a little bit of a background information? Who are you um, and why have we invited you onto our podcast? I'm I'd glad to be. Um, since 2002, I have been running a website called Endo Express. First it started in GeoCities, then it grew. We've been hosted by rebelscum.com, one of the biggest Star Wars merchandising sites. Uh, we broke... Uh, free inside of our own site and everything just kept growing and growing and now we have six people worldwide bringing you all the latest about Star Tours, Disneyland and everything that is related to it. So I would say that um, you would agree with this Simon, he's very very uh, educated in all things Star Tours. Oh exceptionally knowledgeable and uh, again yeah if you haven't visited the site endorexpress.net, do. It's a treasure trove of information. Definitely. Um, so we always like to start our podcast, we've given you a little bit of history about the attraction and as usual for an attraction like of this calibre, Disneyland Paris wasn't the first park that had the attraction. Uh, Anaheim in California opened, well, Star Tours opened in California in January the 9th, 1987. It then opened in uh, Tokyo, Japan in 1989, same as Florida which was uh, a few months later in December in 1989 and then 
for the from following the opening of Disneyland Paris on April the 12th, 1992. Star Tours was an official original attraction for Disneyland Park, for Disneyland Paris. Uh, so it's been around the world, and until a few days ago from this recording, uh, Star Tours in Disneyland Paris was the only original surviving version of the attraction, uh, seen as though all the other versions have been upgraded to The Adventure Continues. Um, have you visited any of the other Star Tours? First, I'll go with Simon on this one. No, I haven't, and I'm, I've been actively avoiding spoilers. I love watching POVs and whatever, but I will not watch any ride that I might get the chance to go on soon. And of course, 2017, we get the new Star Tours, so I've been, I've been avoiding finding anything out about it. And what about you, Chris? I haven't either. Uh, um, all my colleagues, of course, have been on them. But um, it's it's highly on my to-do list, and I'm sure once I enter the U- U.S. park, it's the first thing I'll head to, just like I do when I'm in Paris. So, <laughs> um, so make way, everybody. If Chris is in your park, he's going to be running past everything and get get into Star Tours first. <laughs> you better know that. <laughs> <laughs> so, is there any? Well, obviously, we've got a copy of uh, the park. Version of the attractions in the other parks. Is there anything that makes the start the Disneyland Paris Star Tours different than the other attractions of the versions of the attraction around the world before they were upgraded to the Adventure Continues? Well, layout-wise, it's mostly a copy of Florida. Uh, the big unique thing is, of course, uh, also in French, and we have the big X-wing outside instead of the ATAT. Yeah. Uh, which was also originally planned or at least conceptualized for Paris, but they changed it out for an X-Wing, uh, which is quite interesting. Uh, we don't exit in the gift shop yet. <laughs> um, <laughs> so that's, uh, that's unique. We have Roxanne uh, and the Star, the Starcade. Um, so it's sad that, that that's uh, all going away. And we also had unique games by IBM, which got changed somewhere around the year 2000. Um, So um, that's all different. And of course, at the end, we just had arcade games. So that's not that exciting. No, it wasn't. I'm I'm hearing, obviously, we like to jump back and forward on this podcast. We stick to some kind of plan. I'm hearing that the exit to the new version of Star Tours will host what is probably going to be Europe's biggest Star Wars um, only shop if I'm right. Oh, it's an exciting prospect isn't it? it, Have you heard anything about this Chris? Unofficially Um, of course. I haven't. Uh, Well of course the only thing I have heard is the same everyone else has heard. Big shop uh, and Cuban Star Traders will be changed into a meet and greet area. Ah that'd be yeah a really useful uh, space wouldn't it actually in the uh, yeah. In the grand scheme of things, it would be a nice place to actually meet, especially now that uh, Disney own outright the uh, Lucasfilm uh, franchise, which is Star Wars. So it would be a nice place to put them in there. Yeah, it's still complicated though between because Lucasfilm is still its own identi- has its own identity, its own entity, just like Marvel, uh, yeah. Pixar. They are, so it's still very touchy about. They are very very possessive about Star Wars. So. That hasn't changed. <laughs> so they still have to go to a meeting and sign contracts and all sorts of things just to get the license. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, so yeah, we'll we'll move on to now discuss the actual step by step of the well, I would say a current version, but the just just recently closed version of Star Tours, and we'll start from the outside because uh, as we discuss Simon every single episode when we're looking at an attraction. The Imagineers put so much time and effort into planning the actual show building and what the actual attraction is going to be like in the land. Um, and we, obviously, this is in Discovery Land, so you've got Space Mountain there, and um, you've got Buzz Lightyear, which some hardcore DLP fans maybe don't agree with it being in Discovery Land because of the way it looks, possibly. Um, but what do you what do you like about the actual show building and the outside of it, Simon? Well, I mean the. <sighs> The show building itself is, is sort of hidden away. It's underneath and behind the uh, the train station, which I have to admit I'm not a big fan of. I think it looks a bit plasticky, and that's that's sort of the, the side of Discoveryland that I don't like. What we do have, though, in Paris is that iconic X-Wing fighter. Whether that will be moved to somewhere different, um, there are rumours saying it might go on the roof of Star Traders or something. We don't know. That might change in 2017. Um, but currently, well, not currently, actually, they've taken it down, but a week ago, let's say. You'd walk past Space Mountain and then you'd see this gorgeous X-Wing fighter there and you have the sort of canopies uh, over the fast pass machines. So instead of a show building, I think we had those those sort of iconic pieces there that, that signified Star Tours rather, I think, than than the building itself. Yeah. Uh, so what about the area outside um, Star Tours then, Chris? What is your favourite element? Hmm. Uh, good question. Now, I really love the look of that night uh, especially assignments that when you walk past space mountain you see that big x-wing and you have all the flashing lights uh, the lights coming from star traders especially when it has rained it has this very nice dynamic of the wet concrete reflecting all of the lights and it's like this big welcoming thing big pile of lights being thrown at you uh, and of course then you start to notice little details like the loud in R4M9 and the X-Wing changing colors. And once you get inside of the queue, it's, you see the big sign, Star Tours. And you know, yeah, this is where Star Wars is living. So I really like that. It's like a great introduction to an adventure. Yeah, see what I like about it, again, like you said, because it's not apart from the big X-Wing and the big tall sign that's there really, I don't think there's anything that's kind of in your face saying this is Star Wars. Obviously, everybody knows the X-Wing because it's iconic, so everybody who's walking past will know that if they head to that, then they're going to head to the correct place if they wanted to ride the attraction. You mentioned there about having well, probably at the night at night time when it's lit up and we've, when you've got a little bit of rain on the floor so it reflects all the different lights and different elements. Um, the first video that you've just released of your, um, what could I call it, your little project of your um, videos kind of looking back on Star Tours, that was shot in the rain, wasn't it? Or just on a wet day? Because that's the kind of has the same effect. It was actually shot on two days. Um, the first day we went was on a Saturday which in February, which wasn't that busy, but it was still too busy for any decent audio recordings. Uh, when we went back, I shot more outside cues, which was shot at uh, blue hour at the evening, at well, dusk, and it was raining then, so I matched all of the color grading of the other shots to the nice evening shots. So it was partly, it was a wet day, and I really, I really was happy for that, because of course it looks much more nice on the camera. Yeah, see, a lot of people, well, probably me as well included, you'd, look, you'd initially think, oh, you want to be on a dry day. 
But then when you, when you look at it and actually think about the detail in the video that uh, you've posted on Endor Express, um, like you were just describing there, the reflections in the water, well, in the wet concrete and in the uh, different elements of the show building as such, um, it just adds to it. But luckily, it wasn't raining inside the queue area, which is what we're going to talk no. about next. For me, the Star Tours queue area is probably one of the most interesting queue experiences that you can have in any Disney park. Obviously, I've only been in Walt Disney Studios and Disneyland Park, um, but I can't think of any other attraction for the whole queue area being so immersive. Um, again, this time I'm going to start with Chris, but what can you just describe to me your favourite element and then we'll go through and we'll kind of walk it through scene by scene in the queue. Um, as soon as you walk in, you see a big star map which originally was created for Tokyo and was uh, then again copied for Paris. Though all the text on the side was invented for Paris. So that's nice. And then you take another bend, which of course the entire dark area is meant for your eyes to adjust to the low light. And you walk past the statue sign again, and you hear C-3PO and R2-D2 bickering as, as you know them doing from the movies. And then of course you see this big, huge starship with two, two droids in it. I stood still there for quite a while while recording the videos, and I can't believe how many people just yell out C-3PO and R2-D2, or R2-D2 in French. And then the jingle comes up, and you see one of those great announcements on the screen, the commercials, which which part from the movie and still some new parts. And then you think, wow, this is really exciting. This really is a travel agency. And then you see all the little details like the two uh, Mon Calamari sitting up there. Um, just so many little details like flashes of light happening and inside jokes with the announcements. So it's one of the most immersive areas, I think. Yeah, it definitely is. Um, Simon, from your memory and uh, love of the attraction, uh, from what Chris has just described there, what would you feel is your favourite element or what can you remember standing out for you in the queue? Well, certainly what, what Chris said I think is really important is is the sort of the commercials and the announcements that you hear that really make it feel like a proper tour company that you're going with. Like Star Tours is this genuine company that you're about to board a flight that they own and they do all the time apparently um and these commercials obviously you know if you're a star wars fan then you hear these planets being rolled off in these commercials and you can go oh yeah yeah i know what that is and you think oh actually i i wouldn't mind dining with the galaxy's most outrageous characters at the moss Eisley cantina you know it's all it's all wrapped in that that sort of star wars world and yet because it's got this travel agency theme it it somehow feels very very real very tangible and i think that that for me is really exciting you know it it builds that sense of reality you know it's it's a different world and yet also it's a very real world and you're part of it and i think for me the queue really sets that up perfectly and then of course in the next scene that i'm sure we'll talk about in just a second you then see all the the baggage being carried around on conveyor belts and whatever just like you well you probably wouldn't see it at a real airport but you know it's it's you know one of the sort of practical sides of an airport that really really add to the reality of this yeah like you said it's kind of split into two well probably three different areas the queue uh, so you've got the initial um queue area where you go past uh, star speed of 3000 there and it just adds 
I don't know, because obviously that's what you're going to end up entering when you get onto the attraction and going to Endor. I don't know, because of the size of it, it's a full-scale replica of it. Um, the only thing it doesn't do is fill me with confidence, though, especially when you've got the R2-D2 unit there trying to fix it, and they're arguing with each other. Uh, I just hope that he hasn't worked on the star speed that we're actually going to be working on. Yeah. Well, I think the other right. thing about that is, of course, that the star speeder that you see there in the workshop, I think it's meant to be, um, has some serious meteor damage to it. It looks like it's really been in the wars, which, you know, a commercial ship probably shouldn't have been. But <laughs> I suppose it sets you up for later. Yes, yeah, story-wise, that is the star speeder that you're supposed to board, I guess. Though, at the end of the queue, the start of the flight is being cancelled. Interesting. Ah. Now I think of it. So That's the final bit of the loop, like, Sartre announces a cancellation of flight 264, uh, blah 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 blah, then the loop starts over again, so that's the rollover point. So they're cancelling our flight. Hmm. So that's maybe where it went wrong. Well, yeah, that, that RX droid was not ready. <laughs> yeah. The... So well, yeah. Talking about not being ready. Sorry. No, uh, so okay. talking about not being ready. Uh, in the American versions, Rex has a big red "Remove Before Flight" sign hanging from him. So, which kind of <laughs> implies like someone forgot to pull the tag. <laughs> <laughs> and they've just left it on there. That's amazing. Yeah. So yeah, Simon, you mentioned about the conveyor belt system inside the kind of maintenance area or a baggage area. Um, again, this is where the queue line takes a different twist. So you haven't got, you don't have all the lights and the screens and the neon and the shiny uh, surface of C3PO. Um, it kind of changes up a little bit, and then obviously you've got the ramps that are going up, some kind of bigger loop around to the next level. Um, but obviously hidden in this scene, even if you get distracted by the conveyor belts and the systems in, in the roof. So many different elements. If you look down and look over the side, um, all the different droids. I'm gonna leave it to Chris to explain all this area because again, he's our expert. So, Chris, what elements? Are, well, what elements were there for the guests to, to look at that maybe they didn't actually see if they were just a normal guest? Well, one of the biggest uh, things about the room is that there was a huge mirror downstairs, which mirrors the entire floor and makes it look much bigger than it actually is. Um, on the other side below, you have these big machines with like real tapes in them, and those are from the original Pirates of the Caribbean. Those are the audio controllers, which are hidden in plain sight, and came are now being used as a prop. Uh, we have a speeder bike from Return of the Jedi, uh, and in the Tokyo version, at least, there are several IG-88 heads which have been discovered uh, by the Replica Prop Forum to be uh, Darwin's engine parts uh, and they are being spread all over the original trilogy. You can find them in the Mosaicely Cantina, on the Bounty Hunter's head, IG-88 and all over the place. So it's fun to see them show up as well in Star Tours. So this is this is the kind of thing that we want, I mean like Disney for, isn't it? It's um, the Imagineers putting in all this effort to well, I don't know if they've either been offered these parts or they've went out and said, right, we want some actual props from the actual films. What have you got and how can we use this as part of our story in the queue area? Um, yes. And everything just flows. It doesn't feel like it's there for a re like, well, for no reason at all. It isn't just there to fill the space. 
everything is so well themed. Obviously, there's pipework there. There's the grates. There's the machines, and there's the other droids a, that, that, that these droids are working on. Um, a very annoying yellow flashing light as you enter the room. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, the droids do have an interesting origin. Uh, the in California for the original version, the C-3PO and R2-D2 are supposedly screen-used versions of the original trilogy props. And the G2 droids are being, have been stripped from America Sings. And they're lovingly being called Goose droids because they used to be goose, uh, well, geese, in America Sings. One night it was very, they had a very tight budget during the original Star Tours. So they just raided uh, America Sings and turned the quartet into a duo. And just stole two droids, stripped them of the feathers, and added a head on them. And we have G240 and G290. <laughs> <laughs> That's an amazing story. That's the kind of thing that we, if we were doing this podcast without you, Chris, we wouldn't have this information. Um, so I think that everybody listening at home should be putting a, maybe, I was going to say a blank check in the envelope, maybe just to check for a couple of pounds, a couple of euro, and we can dish it out between us all, because this information, we need to pay for Chris, because it's just so fantastic. Oh. It's fascinating stuff. So, <laughs> um, so yeah, once you, well, it says about Easter eggs and stuff like that, and you mentioned the audio controllers from Pirates of the Caribbean. Again, do uh, oh, you don't know if you'll know the answer to this one. Uh, are the Imagineers kind of offered this, or is there some kind of resource where there's just a warehouse full of old animatronics, old parts from different attractions that the different Disney parks can kind of say, well, actually, have we got anything that could be used? Uh, is there a place, is, is there like an online internet or intranet website that Imagineers go to to find elements that they can use? That's a good question. I don't know about that though i do know that a lot of stuff that is no longer fit to be in the parks is sold off to cast members there are early morning auctions where where cast members can buy like furniture from the hotels and stuff so who knows they have this big warehouse full of things like what are we going to do with it i don't know but we maybe we can repurpose it so yeah, I've, I've seen some um, posts before about different items of chairs or a lamp that maybe was broken in the Cheyenne Hotel that somebody's been able to buy and change up or something. Um, so it's fascinating that all this, obviously with the amount of property that Disney owns, there's gonna, there is going to be some surplus. Um, and obviously with the amount of fans that Disney have got around the world, then and a, and a lot of cast members are fans, and they'll definitely pounce on the chance of getting some of that. Yeah. There is one big Easter egg in the sect in sector two, uh, the Dwarfnostic Center, and this on the baskets there are several names and initials on the baskets, and those are of course initials from Imagineers. And Mark Eats, which was one of the original Imagineers working on Status, did get his basket when they closed down the original Status in Anaheim. So. Who knows uh, which Imagineers have their baskets up there in Paris and all over the world. Oh, if only I was imagine an Imagineer, I could have had a basket. Yes. <laughs> what would you have in your basket, Simon? I'd probably have just like a model star speed of 3000, I think. <laughs> what about you, Chris? What would you put in your basket if it was to come with you or flying around in the attraction? Hmm... Probably a camera or something. A live, a live streaming camera. Oh yeah, absolutely. 
that would be amazing. There we go. But I think that's well. We should. I think Disney need to put in a 360 degree um, camera that's live feed, so we can just control what we're looking at. It obviously invades somebody's privacy somewhere, and you'd probably have to sign a declaration when you enter the park. But just imagine being able to log in, look at a queue area, especially when if you know somebody's going to be there. Well, just being able to like explore it all in your own, at your own leisure. Because obviously, when you're in the attraction and you're in the queue area, it just kind of unless you make a point of staying somewhere and letting people past, um, you normally just find yourself going with the flow. And if the if it's a, if it's a short queue, then a lot of this stuff you will miss. Because um, Star Tours, whenever I've been on the attraction, normally in February or March time, um, the queue hasn't been that long at all. Uh, so you do kind of fly through a lot of this um, spectacular queue area, which in some ways is such a shame. So it'd be quite good if there was a way of documenting, which obviously you've done in your video series, a lot of the yes. elements from the queue. There you go, another link for you. Yes. <laughs> um, for those who didn't know um, or haven't seen it yet, uh, I've been working on a project to conserve Star Tours as it was in Paris in February. So I spent the better part of two days inside the queue recording loops. So because of the, the spiel is 10 minutes long in the first scene and five minutes in the second scene and it was just to keep doing the same thing all over again I got the idea of what if I were to, were to shoot it like a live broadcast and edit it together Joe so I put my camera on C3PO for 10 minutes I change it to a closer of C3PO for 10 minutes and I just work my way all the way through the area so I had Basically all day what I did was stand by my tripod, hope nobody would knock it over and move to people like, okay, you can move along, move along. I'm just filming here, move along. <laughs> so were people um, quite welcoming of you or did anybody try it? Because when I've tried it in, in school before, I'm filming like, different parts of the corridors for videos for the academy that are working. And you know, oh, I know it's different because it's students and they know me personally, but they sometimes want to stick their head in front of the camera just to wind you, wind you up. Did you get find any guests who were wanting to get in the way or were interested in what you were doing? Only one person did it. And I heard them, they were speaking Dutch. I'm from Belgium, so I could understand them. It's like, oh, dude, it, it will be fun. And the daughter's like, okay. And then I just replied to them in Dutch, no, it's not fun. Why do you do that? <laughs> and then it was sort of taken aback that I could speak Dutch. So, but most of the time, people were very cautious, and uh, I was wearing a lanyard, so people were, did expect that I was part of the company, I guess. Yeah, so they didn't want to do anything that would harm Disney, did yeah, they? So they would leave you alone. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, once you've went through a lot of this queue area and you've seen a, a map of your star speed of 3000, um, which is showing you how to enter and exit it, uh, because there's lots of people who don't know how to walk in a straight line and follow simple rules. Mm -hmm. um, once you get there, you're actually in the boarding area. Um, and again, completely different to the first two scenes in the queue area. Um, and I'm so amazed at what the actual boarding area contains again. Now, it's only... Since I've researched for this podcast, really, that I've noticed, well, I've, I've meant, like, noticed how many actual gates there were. Um, yeah. Obviously, six gates in total. Because um, you only obviously use one at a time. And because you, when, you're, when you're there, especially if you don't visit the parks all the time, you kind of just focus on the gate that you're sent to by the cast member. 
and being honest, holding my hands up, I didn't actually realise there was more than, well, I guess there was probably going to be two or three, but I didn't realise there was that many as six gates that you could actually yeah. be sent to. There were indeed six gates, and the theoretically, theoretical only capacity is like 2,000 gates an hour. So it's quite a high capacity, right? It definitely is. So, um, so all the, again, the elements, the, the signs you've got there for different ports or different gates, um, the numbered like you are when you're at an airport, you've got all the different uh, signs there, um, you've got all the different lights, and all, the doors are lit up so brightly as well, the red-coloured doors, we have all the numbers on. Again, so when you're told to go through a certain door, it makes it so obvious. And it, it, obviously each door has got a screen above it, which is all which is uh, going through different safety announcements. Um, and this is where we mention our lovely French lady uh, yes. in our futuristic outfit. Uh, Simon, calm yourself down. Um, <laughs> again, it's part of it. it. We've mentioned this before on podcasts and some fans on Twitter and different social media forums say, why can't a lot of the stuff in the attractions be English when a lot of uh, visitors to the park do speak English? Um, and because us Brits are so naive, uh, not all of us, but I'm, even though I've got a GCSEC in French, I do need the English subtitles to help me with it. But again, this is something, the video, the health and safety video, the announcements before the attraction add another element, and it's something that Disneyland parks across the world are famous for. And this is a good one, isn't it, Simon? Oh, it certainly is. There's something really lovable about it. It's just sort of this old 80s retro safety video, introduction video, whatever whatever you want to call it. Um, I, I don't know what it is that I love about it. I mean, the, like the lovable chime at the end, obviously, but there's something about it being old and from the 80s and being a bit retro that makes it more appealing. I don't know, maybe it's a bit like, oh, it's old, it's sort of a bit shaky, maybe what's about to happen is a bit old and a bit shaky and a bit dodgy, maybe, I don't know. But there's something really endearing about it as, as this old video, and I think, uh, I, I don't know, of course, but I would imagine it's it's going to be replaced with something modern and sharp-looking, and I, I don't think it'll have that same effect. I agree. Yeah, one I well, I watched this uh, just recently, obviously as part of the podcast research. And what I do love about the safety videos, uh, is that, well, for Star Tours, is the use of the characters from the Star Wars universe. So you've got uh, different Ewoks and uh, all sorts of different aliens that are on board. Um, and when they announce about putting your seatbelt on and all that kind of stuff, uh, it's just it's actually part again. It's, if you watch it. You don't notice it at the time. Again, even though it's a safety video, you're supposed to watch. Uh, once you've watched it once before, you normally don't. Very similar to when you're on a plane, actually. A lot of people, um, obviously, have travelled a few times on a plane and they know the, uh, the regulations and what should happen on a plane in an emergency. But you, you kind of miss out if you don't concentrate on the video because, so, again, there's so many little hidden Easter eggs. And um, yes. What's your favourite part of the video, Chris? Um, when you have the uh, seatbelt, the gods on your left, uh, the alien that's looking at it, it's it's its name is Steak, and it's from the Ewok movies. For those who don't know, uh, there were two TV movies made around 1986, with like a very cute little girl uh, and the, about the, his name is Mace Tawani. I forgot the girl's name, but she's very adorable, and they spent like an hour with Ewoks on Endor, and one of the weird aliens is Steak. And he makes his way into the starters video. <laughs> Again, it's just these little things that get. Uh, even though I do like Star Wars, I wouldn't call myself a really big Star Wars geek. But 
Um, it's something you don't really realise at the time, and it's something that goes past your eyes. And for for a lot of the guests that are there, a lot of them probably won't realise all this information. And that again amazes me how much the, uh, the Imagineers concentrate and getting everything right. So if you've got the biggest geekiest Star Wars fan there they're going to get something from it just as somebody who doesn't really know Star Wars they're going to get a lot from it as well what again uh, once the safety video is gone and the doors open you then start moving on to your star speeder you're greeted by our uh, sadly now gone friend Rex who's in there and then the shutter opens up and everything starts moving um, but Rex is really really big why do you think Rex is so popular with uh, the fans of the attraction Chris? Well, he is the face of the attraction because, you know, when he yells out, I've always wanted to do this, he's talking, he's joining opposition. He is, for him, it's the first time as well. And he wants to live to, he wants to do all of those legendary things we saw in the movie. And for them, it's more, in the Star Wars universe, it's like legendary. Oh my God, they blew up the Death Star. So he always wants to do that. We want to do that. So it's a very relatable character. We we all have been in his shoes, being on a job. This is my first day. What if I mess up? So, and of course, he's very funny. He's very dynamic. Very. It's like, oh no, what am I doing? This is so much. This is exciting. This is scary. <laughs> Just like Star Wars is it exciting? It's a bit scary. It's something for everyone. So I guess that makes him very fun and relatable. What about you, Simon? Um, what is it about Rex that you like? I I just love that. They went to the effort, the Imagineers went to the effort of, you know, they'd created this, you know, the, the cabin of the Star Speeder. And then they thought, well, what could make it even better than having a simulator that properly is in a cabin and has the screen right there? Oh, I know. We'll have a full on animatronic droid to pilot the damn thing right in front of you. You know, not just a video of a pilot, but actually an animatronic right there that spins its head around and looks at you guys and goes, oh, I've just driven us into a comet field. Oh, whoops. What have I done? It's just such a cute, lovable character that's, you know, it's just so fun and, oh, whoops, look, oh, there's the Death Star, what have I done, whoopsie-daisy. And he's right there. Rex is right there. And you could almost reach out and touch him. I, I just, I love that. The level of realism is perfect. Yeah, it's good. That, like you said, they could have easily got away with just having a screen. Now, there is a screen in there which has a few different aliens kind of giving little bit of messages. And your C-3PO comes up at some, time, at some point during the, um, the journey. I do have some trivia about loading the Star Speeder. It takes approximately 1 minute and 5 seconds to load. The ride time itself is 4 minutes 30 seconds and it takes 25 seconds to unload bringing a complete operational cycle time of six minutes. Wow. SMPTE, the program name is five minutes and 39 seconds. This is all information from a starter's manual from Florida, which was given to cast members in the early... Well, any cast member who had to operate starters needs to have a manual. It's just so wonderfully precise, isn't it? A minute and five seconds. Not, you know, a minute and a bit. A minute and five seconds. Perfect. uh, and it's a 70 millimeter 30 frame per second per simulator frame for the projection in the star speeder and the same for the hangar bay. Uh, and the audio and video system is loaded and flowed at least on a video disc player. And it's a uh, the vehicle payload has a maximum payload of 20,000, 21,000 pounds, which is quite impressive. All right, very impressive numbers. 
If you if you had a let's say a very heavy group of people get on the star speeder, I mean, would that sort of dampen you know the amount it could move around, or the hydraulics would they be powerful enough to just overcome anything like that? I've seen the hydraulics; they're massive. I think they can handle that with ease. <laughs> okay, so it's not like on a roller coaster where if you stacked it up with really really chubby people, it would go faster. Nah, I do think oh, that's uh, a shame. I do think the movements would be quite impressive with all the extra weight uh, swinging around because the star speeder does move quite uh, a bit uh, with the pitching and the yawning. It's very, very intense movements. Yes. Much more than most people uh, think it is. Uh, so. Have you seen the... Because I know there's there's a sort of a backstage room, so to speak. Yes. You've Have you seen this? I have seen this. Because I've uh, I've I've only seen videos, but I mean I I certainly was incredibly uh, amazed by how much tilting and rocking the Star Speeder actually does. Yes, it's it's very impressive. So uh, I think it's uh, the first Star Speeder or the, the the first or the third Star Speeder. I think it's well Gate One, uh, uh, and you enter to a corridor between the two stages. Well, from the air loading area to the uh, unloading area and there's a hallway between them and a door on the left and then you have the big windows with curtains and as soon as the doors are closed they open the curtains they turn on the work lights and then you can see the entire movement it's very very impressive to see wow I can, I can, I can hear you drooling at the other end of that thought of watching <laughs> that <laughs> well there is one more even drool worthy thing I have done and each morning when they are starting up uh, the attraction there will be a film check and a film check is the complete word without any movements so the cast member can just stand up walk around check if every effect is working and note if something is wrong and if possible need to close that speeder or call a superior or something and I have been able to walk around in that star speeder during a film check two times in a row so i have some very very nice close-up pictures of captain rex i could have seen the mechanics of everything it's one of my best and most treasured uh, dissident memories oh wow <laughs> that is very special and unique it is uh so i didn't have any pictures of it online because you know it's very very unregular for a guest to have it but I have managed to do it, so <laughs> very happy about that. Yeah. That's in the private collection. Exactly. <laughs> Once we get in the Star Speeder 3000, um, I mean, everything's checked and everyone's ready to go. Um, actually, from our little discussions we've had before, Chris, uh, you mentioned something about um, the safety checks on the seatbelts. And what I was talking about was, uh, obviously, when you're checking your seatbelt and you're pulling on the tag, what happens... Or what would ha- I feel that when I'm pulling on the little yellow handle, that I actually do a more damage to the seatbelt than uh, if I was just to uh, kind of fasten it in and leave it alone. So you always, obviously everyone's checking away, going clickety clickety click until the, the cast members check them. Um, yes. So what? Ha- what? Ha- how do they know how which one's been um, clicked incorrectly? Is there any kind of fail-safe mechanisms on the uh, ride vehicles? When you look at the Star Speeder, you have the big screen in front of you. On the right, you have uh, the screen with Captain Rex, C-3PO, 
a red leader. And on the left you have three distinct boxes. All the way on the left, top, it's a big black box. That's where the camera is hiding, where they can see you from the outside and in the control tower. The one below that is a decorative panel, and the one below that is a settings panel where everything can be... No, wait, go actually, the second panel is the real panel. And when they open that, they see 40 LED lights. And as soon as the buckle is in it, the LED turns green. If not, I believe it turns orange or isn't lit up. So they can just see in which row a belt buckle isn't being buckled correctly. So it's all, it's also where the button for the film tickets, by the way. So <laughs> it's all in that panel where they can control it from the inside. And it's something, again, because they've got so many different um, themed elements in the attraction vehicle, uh, all the different lights, and you were saying that about a dummy panel. Um, again, they've, yes. got, they've gone, someone has had to create that dummy panel so it matches the real panel. And it's just another level of detail. Whereas going to different other, well, other theme parks around the world, there would just be a white box and you would know it was the controls for the ride. And it, I don't know, it just kind of takes away from the attraction. So for Imagineers to put, again, more so much detail into all the different elements, even the health and safety, which is the most important thing for the guests and for the yes. park. Um, but it still looks like it's just part of the Star Speeder. I think, Andrew, a sort of a, a bigger thing there about the Disney difference is that, you know, other theme parks, when you go to a simulator attraction, you, you go into a room and then you'll sort of just go into some bench or something that's on a simulator base and there'll be a screen way ahead of you somewhere and then there won't be any other theming around the room. You won't be in the sort of same cabin with a beautifully decked out interior and a droid and other video screens and other flashing lights or whatever. You know, that's that's the difference. You know, it's it's utterly everything about this attraction that's far beyond other simulator attractions that you see around the world. I mean, I, I was a big fan of Sea Odyssey when it was in Port Ventura, but I mean, that was nothing in comparison to, to this. You, you didn't go into a cabin, you just went into this large cavernous room and there were many different simulator bases that were just, you know, seats on hydraulics. You know, that's all it was. You know, it's completely different to actually board a Star Speeder. There are actually four elements of a show like Star Tours, and it's for the cast members. Safety, courtesy, show, and efficiency. Every one of these has to be perfect for Disney. So that wasn't in any particular order? Well, it, it's again from the Star Tours manual, <laughs> <laughs> and it's A, B, C, D. <laughs> Starting with safety, then courtesy, then show, then efficiency. So as long as the show, well, obviously the health and safety is the most important thing like that. And then, but obviously you've said their show and then efficiency. So obviously they want it to still look good when you're in the attraction. But obviously yes. they're all important. But obviously efficiency comes last because once you're in there, as long as it's working okay, um, if the next guest can't go on it in the queue, that doesn't matter because the people on there currently are still getting the best show ever. Yes. That kind of makes sense. I was just thinking, looking at some pictures again, the the simulator. Oh, this one. Just one interesting quote about that. We must remember to keep this aspect of our operation in perspective because sacrificing safety, courtesy, and show for efficiency does not result in the kind of service our guests expect. There we go. That's exactly that's what that's how it should be. Yeah. The Disney way is the right way. We should all live our life to some kind of Walt Disney Bible. There's a definitely a religion in there somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's a Star Wars religion, so. Yeah, there is. I'm sure, uh, Chris, are you a part of the Star Wars religion? Hmm, 
good thing. Good question. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not that religious, neither in being a Jedi or anything else. <laughs> but I do try to live my life uh, like more of a Disney model, doing Disney difference. I, I work with Disney a lot as a photographer, and I know they expect the best of me, and I try to give them even better. And I try to give that to every one of my clients, and put, I put that on everything I do to do something more than they expect. So, I think there's a lesson in there, yeah. There we go. So, what was a stupid question? Actually, it was a really good answer. <laughs> mm. This the um to me the the star speeder when you're actually sitting down in the seat because there's so many seats in a row, it just I don't. This, I don't see this when I'm on the attraction itself, but thinking about it now, looking at pictures, it does. It looks a, it looks very, very wide. Where obviously the Star Speeder is not long and thin, but it's quite. It, it's longer than it is wide. But on the attraction, when you're there, it don't know. It seems more wider than it is longer. Is that just the picture that I'm looking at, or is there some kind? Because obviously, it just it might be the perspective of the picture, but it seems to be wider than it is longer. Um. Well, the actual cabin, it's its quite long. Of course, the seating area itself is, is wider than it's longer, I think. But, uh, of course, you have the projection part, you have the part with the animatronics. So, it is still longer, but it, it is very, very wide. It does seat 40 people for one trip, which is impressive. So, obviously, they've, they've got to have somewhere to store the luggage as well. So, there must be a really big luggage compartment at the back. Below your seat, of course. You see it on the health and safety video, don't you? You see the uh, under the seat, uh, the droids, well, not the droids, the aliens and the guests are putting different elements under their seat um, to sit. But obviously, when you're going on the, if you were going on the trip to Endor, is it a return visit? Is it a one day? Is it a one way visit? That depends well, on how much luggage I think you take. it's uh, being set in a, in a common spend an entire day or the afternoon with a lovable Ewoks in their charming tribal villages. So I think it's up to you. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe they say flights uh, flights depart every few minutes. Yes, so don't delay. Visit Endo today. Mm-hmm. Well, I would I would like to go there for a week, so I'm, I need somewhere to pack my baggage in the back. That's probably why there's not it's not as long in the cabin, like an aeroplane. That's kind of what I'm expecting when you go in, and it's kind of the the land like oblong shape. You kind of think we're going to get in there, and it's going to be quite oblong, but obviously. There needs to be some space for the engine, and there needs to be some space for the baggage as well. <laughs> well, if you do want to spend an entire week with the Ewoks, don't forget they do eat men. Oh. <laughs> it's unfortunate. Yes. And maybe we'll uh, just be leaving the cabin at this point, or travelling somewhere else. I'll get on another star speed and just go on somewhere else. Let's talk about the actual attraction, which is what we're here for. Obviously the queue area, the boarding area. The uh, X-Wing outside is very important, but it's the actual attraction that is the day-to-day element of this attraction. Um, So what we're going to do, if we're just going to kind of go through it step by step. So at the start, you're kind of lifted up uh, from the lift into some kind of, well, it's kind of the exit area, isn't it really? You're kind of taxiing towards the exit or to the launch area. And then everything goes wrong and you're being turned into a left turn. Yeah, we're now kind of going the wrong way. We're dropping all the way down. And this is where the first real sensation from the simulator happens, isn't it? Yes. It kind of drops so, um, well, it's so harshly a big drop. Yes. There's a lot of things happening there. The people in the window on the right, which were looking away, one of them is Dennis Muin, 
which is an ILM employee. Uh, you see the mighty microscope uh, down there. So there's a lot of things to see. So once you've went through Lightspeed, the really fir the first thing we really come across is the uh, all the ice particles and going after through accidentally the... missing your destination. Accidentally, yes. yes. All the and ice this is a great bit in the comic. What I didn't realise until I uh, managed to catch a CCTV video on one of the uh, staff booths is that, of course, every time you hit the side of one of these comets, strobes go off inside the cabin. You don't normally notice them until someone's told you they're there. And then there was even a strobe all these flashes really add to it. Seats. In the back row, the, all the way uh, to the left, last first seat, uh, does have a strobe underneath it. Oh wow, underneath as well. Yeah, and the final shot uh, in the comet. Original plan was that that would be a reflection of the star speeder itself, but that was cut out because it was too confusing to guests. Ah, very interesting. And then of um, course we break out, but then uh, get caught in a tractor beam. Yes. Whoops. <laughs> Those and goddamn then, tractor beams. Yes. Uh, Red Leader, which is being played by Steve Gawley, uh, another ILM person. He wanted to play a. Uh, he wanted to have a cameo for so long, but he, he couldn't because he's bald. And Red Leader wears a helmet, of course, so he was given the part for once. Oh. You can't discriminate people these days, though, so being bald <laughs> shouldn't be a reason for him not to be in it. Oh, this this was the 80s, Andrew. Times were different. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget, um, cast members couldn't wear a beard. Oh. <laughs> That's me out George then. Luca, George Lucas shaved his beard for a photo shoot with Captain Rex. Uh. <laughs> yes. And I'm still not a fan of beards. Sorry, Andrew. <laughs> There's also a big jump cut coming up now when you do the a descend into the trench. It cuts from a matte painting to a model. It's the same technique used in uh, A New Hope. And oh, right. it's being hit by some... Because of its flashes, it's being hidden. And when you look at... Just when the Death Star explodes, you can look to the right screen. And it has um, R2-D2. You can see the Death Star exploding behind R2. So clever how the thought of all these things again. It's this scene when they're going through the Death Star in the trench... That it's even if you're not a really big fan of Star Wars, you'd, you'd have seen it, and you kind of want to be that pilot of the X-wing, and you want to be flying. So, it, it Star Two was again was giving you the opportunity to kind of live your fantasies. Actually, when you were a young kid, you wanted to fly, and you wanted to yes. use the um, the X-wing, and it kind of because it links so well with a scene from the films, it kind of drops you right into the film, doesn't it? Yeah. There's also a big uh, urban legend that George Lucas had a cameo in the movie uh, as being the guy that ducks behind his desk when they were about to coll collide with the fuel tank. Right but at the end George, It's Ira Keelich, another ILM person. Sorry for the silence, I'm just enjoying watching this. <laughs> so at the, <laughs> at the end, once you've uh, nearly crashed into the tanker and you see the guy in the window, like you was just mentioning there, um, you then slowly go down the lift and you're kind of back at the uh, the launch station. Um, and I'm sure that Rex will probably go to some kind of debrief and will either be scrapped or sent to some kind of planet so far away that nobody will see him again. Well, hopefully they'll pull that tag out of him, I think, really. That would be the most <laughs> fair thing to do. Another fun thing, uh, a pro tip 
of course now useless since it's closed. But uh, <laughs> as soon as C3P comes on board and tells us how to unbuckle the belt, the system is still not disarmed. It's when you hear this, pnum, well, the sound of like this sound of uh, the air being pumped into the system. You can only then you can unbuckle your belt. So it's no use and just keep pushing the red button in the hope that it will come loose. <laughs> there we go. It's a shame that we can't use that top tip, but thank you very much, Chris. Yeah. <laughs> useless trivia, it's my specialty. <laughs> oh, you know, I, I think I have a bit of useless trivia, actually. There we go. Go on, Simon. This is rare and it's not in my remit, but... But, um, so when you get... Chris will probably know this already and can tell me whether it's accurate or not, but when you get caught in the tractor beam, uh, they had to have that at that exact moment um, because that was the point when the hydraulics, uh, the cylinders, like, run out of compression or needed to re-energize or whatever they do. So that's why you then sort of suddenly stop and nothing happens to the cabin. Uh, It's just sort of motionless because the hydraulics needed to sort of recharge or whatever. It had to happen at that exact moment. They couldn't leave it any longer. There needed to be a moment where nothing was happening so that the the simulator system itself could sort of recharge. Well, Simon, you are correct. This was revealed uh, by Tony Baxter in the Star Wars Insider article by our staff member Alex Newborn. So, it's a cool bit of trivia indeed. Um, once you've <laughs> left um, and you've managed to get your seatbelt off, once you've heard that whoosh sound... Um, you'll then exit to, um, well, in the previous ride, which is now closed, you would exit via uh, Lastroport Service Interstellar, um, which was all of our arcade machines, basically. Was that empty? For we haven't, we haven't started discussing the closing ceremony yet, but I hear that that was completely empty towards the end of the attraction. It like. was. Uh, I, two days before the event, so on Monday, it was completely cleared out at night. Was, Which was, was a very, very weird sight. Yeah, did it, was it used for anything, or was it just... They were uh, just meet and greet closed. with uh, Darth Vader, two Stormtroopers, and uh, R2-D2. Which, cool enough, uh, the if you go behind the magic again, uh, the controller of R2-D2, well, he's dressed as uh, a guest, just oh, like yeah. the one as the... Uh, what's the name of the trash bin again, moving around? Oh, I know exactly which one you mean, but I can't remember his name. I'm rubbish at names, you should know that already. Uh, push? Is that right? Push, I, I think so, yeah. So um, You've they, redeemed yourself, they have, Simon. Yes. They have this uh, black velvet bag with the controls inside of them, and they use the same bag as for Push as they do for R2-D2. So does that mean that he's wearing the bag on his front and he's kind of fiddling in some kind of bag? Yeah, exactly. And for Push, because he speaks... Um, there's this voice changer, which is hidden in his sleeve, so he's like scratching his nose or something. And so all of the su- when he's doing that, he's talking into his hands, and then you hear the sounds coming from Push, which is quite impressive. Oh, well, I've never actually managed to come across Push yet, and um, it's something I want to do, because obviously I take um, a coach load of students every year, and a lot of them are there because it's a day out of school rather than it being Disneyland Paris for some of them. Uh, so they won't know at all anything about him. And I just really want it to be in the queue area or just before we get onto a queue area that push comes along and then I can... If, if I know about it, I would make sure they were standing there at the right time and they would get the fright of their life. Is that an evil thing oh, to yeah. do? <laughs> Absolutely not. There we go. 
If, if anyone complains on my next visit, I'll say, well, Chris said it was okay to do. It's fine. <laughs> it's hilarious to see people like, why is this a trash bin in, in front of the queue line? It's like, then all of a sudden it slaps up. It's just surges onto them and they go, oh my God, that's the mouse. <laughs> it's, it's hilarious. Simon, have you played any arcade games in the exit to start to us? Never have. Never have. Um, I, I, I always found that area quite disappointing and... Um, if it does become a very large shop, then fantastic. Um, I always think arcades, when they put them in Disney theme parks, a bit of a cheap cop-out, really. They're not they're not really an attraction. Um, I've also never really cheap. understood why they had that when you've got Arcade Alpha and Beta just across the road, almost. Well. So, <laughs> go on. It's, it We've got a story reason. here. Yes. Uh, originally, IBM was the sponsor of the attraction. And the partnership of IBM. Originally, IBM was one of the key sponsors of Startus, and you could even see the IBM logo in front of the Startus sign at the, at the entrance. Yep. And there were all of these custom games, which meant you could take a picture of your face and it would disorder it. And all of these clever, modern, computerized games were there. Very unique, especially made for Startus. But oh, wow. in 2004, uh, last report service Interstellar was getting a makeover since uh, HP, Urit Packard, replaced IBM as the official partner. So, uh, and they didn't f- felt like, you know, I guess we can't have all these IBM games as a free partner, so let's toss them out and put something else in place, which was probably the arcade games as we know them. Yeah, cause like, that that kind of makes it a little bit more interesting, especially when I suppose at the time, um, because the games consoles weren't really in everybody's household, um, having the chance to see some of this technology for the first time was probably a little attract was probably actually worth having a separate attraction in the exit because it's probably technology initially that people weren't playing with every day, and it, even though now everyone can do all these things in their fo- on their phones in their pockets, yeah. it's something that gone. It was uh, a lot of the, the effects like retouching a photo with a touch screen, which is, of course, now everyone has it, like you said, on the phone. Um, we also had the Star Course game, uh, and you could still see the big screen with the stars uh, projection, well, the 3D stars uh, at the end of the Starcade, and you could stand on these platforms, which moved, and by, by shifting your weight, you could steer the a dot on the screen, and if you collide it with um, a planet, you lose points. If you collide it with one of the other guests, you yeah. get points. Oh, wow. So it sounds it very much fun. like a Nintendo Wii, a Fitboard, one of those uh, Wii things <laughs> yeah. they used to have. Again, just it shows you intense. that this technology, um, what even though it wasn't readily available until a few years later, it's something that has started with an idea. Yes. So, so I take it that IBM kind of put a lot of money and research and this was the stuff that they were developing at the time and they put it into yes. this attraction uh, so for them it was worth sponsoring the attraction because they got a chance yeah. to showcase a lot of their work yeah all the games used to be free as well but uh you could buy uh, a retouched photo uh of course but uh apart from that everything was free and the droid roxanne you have over there you're she used to, you could place your hand on it and she would uh, predict your future. I was wondering where uh, you were going with that one. Yeah. 
Um, this reminds me, actually, talking about arcades, um, it reminds me of a, a venue, well, an attraction that used to be in Disney Village, uh, Cyberspace Mountain, which was, I think it was actually called Disney Channel Cyberspace Mountain or something like that. Um, oh, and actually, it wasn't in Disney Village, sorry, it was in the Walt Disney Studios Park, I think. Uh, part of the the uh, television tour that used to be on where you could walk around the Disney Channel and see them doing Disney the live broadcast. Yeah. Because um, in Cyberspace Mountain, what they had was this kind of interactive uh, roller coaster simulator. Um, and it, what, it's a shame that this doesn't exist anymore because we could have. There was basically three or f- well, four or five of these little mini simulators. It was a kind of like red. It was like a hockey puck, but really, really big. And you could get into it, and I think two people could actually fit in it. Uh, basically, what there was was thinking back now, the technology was amazing. It's a shame they don't have it now. It was like um, a four by three monitor in front of you with your two seats, and you're strapped in like you would be on a roller coaster. Um, and then it kind of spins round forward and backwards, and it can also rotate left and right. And then what you would do before you got into the attraction is you would program on a touchscreen again and at the time when I'd done this in 2003 um, I'd never really used touchscreen before apart from on the like information kiosks and that kind of thing um, so to actually be able to touch different parts of a roller coaster and uh, c- create my own 3D virtual roller coaster uh, was amazing and then what you would do is it would tell you whether it was a basic level a moderate level or like an intense level and it prepared you for the attraction you got into it and it followed the simulation and the plans that you would kind of put together in the queue area um, it's a shame that it doesn't exist now because you could really you could load the the, um, the the story from star tours and because it's a simulator even though it's on a small much smaller scale you could basically relive an old attraction well i have good news for you oh um Go the on. creative direction uh, the creative direction was made by was done by Ted Evans and one of the pre-production sketches of the interface had Captain Rex in it. Ah, wow. I googled that and I saw Captain Rex and I was quite impressed with that. (laughs) So, well, it'd be really good if they could bring something like that back. Um, Especially in arcade uh, Alpha and Beta what, what, it's probably better to use that space, to, what, or, or it could even be in Discoveryland Theatre. Get if if they're gonna, depending on what they're gonna, the plans are for that. Instead of just having um, some previews of a film that's been out for two years, um, most people can watch it for free on their uh, terrestrial television. Uh, they, they could obviously, depending on what the plans are, they could gut that and have these little like simulation booths and any attraction that is shut down or has been reimagined so for example you could ride Space Mountain uh, the original version um, before it turned into Space Mountain uh, Space Mountain Mission 2 so I think um, obviously we're completely off topic here but just being able <laughs> to ride Star Tours again in your own small little simulator I think that I would pay money to actually queue up for that um, if it was part of an arcade well, to do some more uh, off-topic about the arcades, <laughs> Arcade Alpha is mostly being used as the prep area to train the Jedi Padawan for the Jedi Training Academy. They're being given the lightsaber there, some basic training. And in some moments, like in Frozen, uh, frozen Summer... Which one is it again? Summer... summer Fun. Frozen Summer Fun. Yes, Frozen Summer Fun. Uh, they use Arcade arcade beta to do a musical lesson where they can teach you how to play let it go or 
different musical instruments. Oh, wow. So they are <laughs> using the arcades for once. And that's why they're in our uh, Disneyland Paris attraction polls that we've been running on Twitter. Everybody, Nobody even knew what they were. And it, so much so that uh, Martin Walker, a uh, friend of the show, he when he was there for the uh, closing ceremony of Star Tours, he actually tweeted a picture to us uh, of the sign outside Al- Arcade Alpha uh, because he had never heard of it before, even though he's visited <laughs> the park so many times. So it's uh, it's amazing that they're actually starting to use it for even if it's just for a little low key thing like that. It, it's a it's putting something that's not really used to some kind of use. Well, they are very gorgeous areas, though. Yeah, they have the swell rails on the side and this beautiful storm map painted on the side. That's very 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 pretty. Um, will they be closed? They're not closed now, though, are they? They won't be uh, affected. Now you by... can visit them. So um, one of our little top tips is if obviously there's no real attraction as such to go and see, but I would definitely go and have a look and see the different artwork and architecture and obviously more theming that the uh, the Imagineers have put in. Um, so let's move on. Um, we've now discussed which uh, the attraction statue is, which is now closed. Uh, we've been on the air now or recording for over an hour, so it's definitely time to now look into the future. But before we look at what the new Adventure Begins or Adventure Continues attraction version will look like or feel like, um, I want to speak to you, Chris, about the closing ceremony. Yes. Now, before I ask you some questions, sadly, because of my term times and because of working in the school um, I was sadly had to decline the invitation uh, to attend the closing ceremony uh, but luckily our new correspondent Chris uh, was there so if you'd like to just kind of just briefly go through what the day entailed for you well uh, because it was a weekday and we had a meeting on the Thursday the day afterwards we slept in and just arrived at the park at 2pm which might be one of the latest times I've ever visited the park um, uh, and at 7 we could, well, I think 7.30 we could queue up and get all batch. Uh I wish we had queued up earlier because it was a huge line because they invited around I think 800 people which partly some dream passport holders some shareholders and some AVT uh, invited guests uh, and we had to go to Donald's desk, which is on the right side of Disneyland Hotel, to get our badge. And then we, we were given, then we were given this paper, which had all the information. It had a timetable and the scratch area for the final, final, final flight. And were so, you one of the lucky ones, Chris? I was not. I was oh. so good at when it said perdu, which meant lost. Um, a French uh, dedicated to DLP also didn't get it, but a friend of theirs did get a boarding pass, and he he was so lucky to get one of the those uh, ninety. Well, well, there were nineteen passes distributed. Well, ninety dual passes. But I wasn't. I was on the flight just before that. Um, at so, eight, of course, we had Disney Dreams, and everything was very pretty, and you know, it's dreams. Who doesn't love projection mapping? I oh, know you guys are very big fans. There we go. Yeah, it's all right, isn't it? As a, as a technique, it's okay. Yeah, we haven't mentioned it yet, so I feel that um, we'll have to go really hard on projection mapping when it gets to the next section. Oh yes, <laughs> yes. Uh, between nine thirty and ten forty-five, there was a. Encounter with Darth Vader, or Recontre avec Dark Vador, in French, 
uh, and at 9.15 there was a presentation at the Video Palace Theatre, Status Merci et Bon Voyage, with Laurent, uh, one of the key Imagineers who is doing a lot of media things like this. He was ta- he was talking about the, end, the history of Status. And of course, since it was all in French, which I do not natively speak, and because our time was limited, I spent... I probably know most of what he's going to tell me because <laughs> I had I had been given a tour by Laura a few years earlier about Status. Okay. We just headed down to the attraction and rode it a few more times. Um, oh, In the end... It, sorry, go on. Of, and I'll... of course I missed uh, the special cameo by Luke Hammack, uh, the voice of Captain Rex. But at least I can see it on YouTube. That's right, yeah. <laughs> it's such a shame because uh, I know a different ceremony is and different events that they've put on. Uh, for shareholders and for special VIPs or guests, um, they normally, from what I've seen on videos anyway, they normally have English and French speaking. Now, obviously, yes. I know it's I know it's a French park and I know it's in France, so it's not it's not a surprise that there was no English at all. But the fact that they did actually go out of their way to invite a lot of um, English speaking fan sites and English speaking shareholders to the event, um, it's just a shame that it didn't actually cater for all of the guests that were invited. Yes, uh, I've uh, I've been invited to the 50th anniversary of It's a Small World, which was a very tiny event. I think there were maybe like 25 journalists invited or something, or 30. And even that e- event, which also had Laurent talking about it, was in English. Oh, so, well. so I wonder what made their um, what made them change their decision. I wonder if the, they must have uh, either it was a time issue or they just couldn't find anybody that day that could speak English. <laughs> Well, the ceremony in itself was already running quite long. I think it's like 10 minutes. It was very, very, very cold. So I'm glad it didn't take 20 minutes. Yeah. So in fact, it was a blessing in disguise that there was no English. Yeah. And fireworks <laughs> is universal. <laughs> yeah. So, so what, um, go on. Yeah. What, I was going to ask, uh, what, what did you feel on your last ever flight to Endor? What were, the, what were the emotions that were going through your head at the time? Oh, a lot of emotions. Uh, it's, it was a journey since 2002, which is 14 years now. And my idea was, okay, well, let's just walk very, very, very slowly through the queue. Because at uh, 10.45 was going to be the final flight. At 10.40, I entered Sartre's like, okay, let's go very quiet. And when the big group comes in, we'll just, you know on and who knows of course they were smarter than that and send a cast member after the final just before that clearing out the entire queue <laughs> like I was like we have to go she was like yeah sorry move along <laughs> she, she did let us take her time though oh, that's and, nice. uh, it's a shame you uh, couldn't final pictures yeah it's... it's a shame you couldn't have said to them well I was here a few months ago and I was here all day um, so can you not give me a couple of more minutes just to film some more? <laughs> or you could have well, you could yeah, have used yes. the old. Uh, do you not know who I am? <laughs> well, Look at my lanyard. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, um, I talked up to some uh, cast members. I told them about my project. They were very enthusiastic about it, and still they could not allow me to film on starters on the attraction itself. I had to use press footage um, for that part of the ride because okay. of the screens and the safety, they could not do it. I had one one time ever I have been given the 
opportunity to shoot on Star Tours when I was invited uh, as Andrew Express to relive Star Tours in French. And which made a very, very interesting loading process because of the loader person, a cast member. She has no pictures, no flesh, except this gentleman in the font, he's press. <laughs> so they actually made a special announcement for you. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which was funny. But uh, yeah, final day, final ride. I think we rode starters around six times. So, and it's like, kind of, you know, you're holding your hand on the railings, like, I don't want to let go and I want that, this moment to go on forever and then you, ju- you know you have to drag yourself away from that and it's like okay let's goodbye C3PO thanks for the memories let's move towards the next queue and then of course you bought uh, with a few more other fans which kind of had the same idea as I had of let's just linger on and just before we bought it this huge announcement came off like this is probably your last flight, and it's mine too. <laughs> uh, which they had recorded by Luc Hammack, uh, again the voice artist yeah, for yeah. Captain Rex in France. Well, uh, it's good that they. Very, it's, yeah. Sorry, it's good that they actually got them to do a special recording for the closing yeah. ceremony. That's very special. Yeah, it, it was fun, and um, it was emotional because at that moment, you know was kind of disappointing uh there were only three star speeders operational the entire evening and the entire day and number six was the best wine in quality effects print it was a near perfect experience as being described by a friend of mine and our last flight was in cabin four which had such bad audio mixing that you couldn't almost hear captain rex only the music effects which was quite a shame but uh of course you take what you get, and four minutes, 30 seconds later, you have to get up and leave the cabin. And then you go out, and the call is like, wow, this what? This is actually it. No more flights to Endor. And you walk out, and there's like 600 people out there waiting, all looking to the star, to star traders at night. And they weren't playing. At 8 p.m., they stopped the... Discoveryland music, and they were playing Star Wars music all over Discoveryland. Yeah, that that must have felt really weird and strange. That was very, very weird. So obviously, uh, you saw you your brain, even if you don't realize it, because obviously you, your subconscious is expecting the Discoveryland music, and for it to be, you you always associate the visuals of Space Mountain and Star Traders um, with yeah. the Discoveryland music. So for it to be something else. Yeah, it's such a well written uh, suite of music. Uh, David Dolly did that. Uh, we, I have an interview. I have interviewed him uh, last year, and I still have to release that interview. So <laughs> you're not the only guys that are being laid at, with some things. <laughs> so um, there we go. And some yeah, spoilers. Uh, spoilers there. That's a to be released interview. <laughs> it will be released soon. I hope. <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's it was a very very special moment, and then of course. It's at uh, closing, Estoport closing procedure at 11.15. And normally in Disneyland, when it says 11.15, it's 11.15. Yeah. Disney Dream starts at exactly 8 or 9 or whatever for the park. But this is the first time it was actually late in Disneyland. So I think we had to wait 10 more minutes till everyone 
was uh, when everyone uh, deboarded the Star Speeder yeah. and everyone was ready for the queue. The cast members came out, stood in the line, and then the ceremony began. And could we um, safely say that it's probably because of Steve from Dedicated to DLP that it was late? If he was on the last flight, um, oh, I have, probably. I have yeah. seen pictures of the empty uh, Star Speeder. <laughs> I've also seen him taking pictures of the cast members all lined up. Um, and I know he's been recording a live version of the podcast from the evening, so I can imagine. And I'm going to blame it's all Steve. Steve. It's all Steve. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Steve, you were great. <laughs> <laughs> we did meet up, though, uh, next to R2D2. It's like, hey, that's Steve. So it's fun see- seeing some uh, faces to all of the Twitter handles. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, because the only person I've actually managed to meet in the park so far um, is Jeff from uh, DLP Town Square. Great guy. Very good. He was actually my chauffeur for my first ever ride on Ratatouille. Oh, nice. Um, and it's, it's, it's good meeting people and, like you say, putting a face or a voice to a Twitter handle. Um, yeah. And he kind of ex- it, it was good for me on Ratatouille because he explained all of the bits that were from the press weekend that he was invited to when you were there as well. Um, Can I give you one more ultimate wedding ride? <laughs> I was the first non-Disney person to ride Ratatouille. Oh, there we go. Oh, wow. That is that is some good bragging rights. Before the opening, uh, I had the interview with uh, Tom Fitzgerald. Yeah. And, of course, I had to have done the right before having to do the interview. Exactly, so, of course, of course. Early in the morning at, like, uh, 10.15 or something, just when the park opened, we had to line up to the side. Uh, PR people came to get us, and me, followed by the BBC entered into Ratatouille and like three hours before the opening saw it wow which wow. was yeah that was it was amazing um, it's still something that Simon hasn't done yet si- is that correct Simon that is unfortunately still the case um, because I'm so wanting to do a Ratatouille pod- episode of the podcast um, having done it a couple of years ago now and uh, I'm waiting for you Simon Sorry, Andrew. <laughs> maybe I can play Simon again. There we go. Yes. Um, we could maybe do. Um, we could invite Jeff on as my tour guide. Um, oh yeah. But anyway, let's go back to Star Tours. This is a no- this is normal for our <laughs> podcast. We normally digress. <laughs> Digressing just a little bit. We normally go off such a tangent that we're talking about Blackpool Pleasure Beach instead of, of Disneyland Paris. Um, no. Um, so yeah, is there anything else? Um, obviously, the closing ceremony. Um, kind of included a new droid that we hadn't seen before yeah somehow uh, I have seen the droid before um, we were talking about it on Twitter earlier tonight but it's very familiar I think it was used in some events somewhere I have seen pictures or video of some droids like that but I can't remember exactly where but I think it was something they had in stock yeah. so just pull it out of the crate put it up on uh to start traders and use that. It's it's quite special though, isn't it? Because you you kind of nobody expected them to go to that kind. Well, some people oh, probably no, absolutely not. Some people probably wanted them to maybe do a little bit more, but you really didn't expect them to put on that kind of show. Even if, maybe if it was a real act, like a well, I was going to say a real actor, but a character on there, uh, maybe some stormtroopers or something like that. That's probably what you'd have expected to have happened yeah, if you were using like that. in Florida, uh, where Boba Fett blew yeah. up. Star Tours yeah. with a few grenades. So to have a droid up there 
even if it was kind of already um, in stock and they just put him on the roof nobody expected that to happen really so that was quite a good yeah. little touch overall how would you rate the overall closing ceremony hmm um bearing in mind that you want to work for Disney again <laughs> um I gave it a good solid 8 to yeah 8 it was great that they done something uh, they did when they did go to distance um of course, you don't want to see it close, and whatever they do, it still kind of felt like going to a funeral of a friend, <laughs> and still it felt like the celebration of something amazing. Yeah. So it's it's a very very mixed feelings, and the day of, uh, the day after, because at night I wrote my article, which uh, I'm very grateful that I have a great copywriter who, um, friend who cleared all of my mistakes. Uh, <laughs> We went to sleep at 3, 3 a.m. at night because we still had to drive all the way back to Belgium. Wow. Yeah. Um, and the following morning, I just hit publish. And then I started editing the video, uploading that, and reliving all of those things. And then realized, wow, what's special. And it's, I think it's one of the most emotional things I have ever done at Disneyland Paris. So the actual article on EndorExpress.net, final boarding call for the Endor Express. Um, I remember reading it, like you say, the day after, because I followed it along, I followed the event through Twitter um, and started following uh, some of the closing ceremony via Periscope, uh, but sadly a cast member uh, asked them to shut that stream down. But the images that you've included on there and the detail that you've went into, even though it realistically is quite a short article, it does cover everything. So if you haven't uh, read the article on the Endor Express... Uh, final boarding call for the Endor Express it's called um, it's, it, again, it, you can feel the emotion in the article and the um, the images and the video that you've included um, I think you've saved the best to last in my opinion a lot of the images um, there's not many but some of the images that are there are really they, they do the um, attraction a really big favour it makes the attraction look it's, it looks like to me anyway maybe somebody else will notice any flaws in the um, the pictures but it looks like it would have looked on day one. Oh, do I have pictures of day one well before day one uh, pre-opening pictures about how what is the standard for Imagineers to look back okay how is this supposed to look like and there were a lot of effects not working like the announcement screen with the uh, commercials wasn't working the music for the commercials haven't, hasn't been working for years. Oh, the no. text going on the screen hasn't, hasn't been working for years. Uh, R2-D2 is backwards in a star speeder. Um, <laughs> so there's a lot of things that well, are actually very, very wrong. But you can't change it, so I'm glad I went a bit earlier and have some effects at least working yeah. in my video. But So yeah, but like I mentioned just a minute ago, um, the Periscope uh, feed was cut down. Um, obviously a lot of people were able, you included uh, Chris were able to film the closing ceremony and, cl and film what happened um, it was a shame for the fans watching at home that couldn't make it um, that the Periscope feed was cut down were you aware of this at the time was there any messages or announcements made absolutely not uh, I do have a theory because um, when we were walking home after the ceremony they closed down uh, a lot of Pads, so we had to pass by uh, the Orbitron, walk onto the main street, and immediately turn left uh, past Plaza Gardens into Discovery Arcade. And in Discovery Arcade, I noticed several cast members wearing the same 20th anniversary name tag. 
think it was Vincent or something, which <laughs> really struck. I see those details uh, as a photographer. Yeah. Uh, but it struck me as very odd. So what I heard is that those probably are uh, external uh, cast members, which have been have been given the task of no backstage pictures, because at that moment we walked past Main Street. They were. There was a small crane active, there were people in fluid clothing doing swing into spring preparations. So it was like those videos uh, Disneyland Paris sometimes post about how they are creating Christmas or Halloween or swing into spring. But for once we could see it with our own eyes, which was very weird to see cars driving on Main Street. But of course, uh, cast members were saying, move along, no pictures, no video. So I think someone just misunderstood it and went to the Periscope guys as like, no pictures, <laughs> because everyone else was taking pictures and video. And yeah. so it's probably just like a big misunderstanding, but I don't think um, Disneyland Paris is cutting down on live streaming. That's good, because um, I'm hoping that um, it's something that they actually get into more and more often. Because uh, I don't know about you, yes. Simon, but um, having... Not having the privilege of being on mainland Europe, so we can't travel across or drive for a few hours. Because uh, for for me personally, it takes me two to three hours driving to get to my local airport, which then takes a few hours to get on the plane, which then takes a few hours in the air. Um, so, by the t- but it does normally take me a good half or nearly a full day to travel to Disneyland Paris. Um, so, having a live stream um, of people in the park, whether it's fans or in the future, hopefully Disneyland Paris. Um, we'll do this as well just kind of keeps the connection going so you feel like you're there um, pictures even though obviously that's your profession pictures do um, tell a lot of the story but sometimes even if yes. the quality is not so good on a live stream you feel like you're there a little bit more because I don't know it feels like you're seeing it through their eyes so to speak yeah video is such an important thing these days so that's why I'm t- that's why I filmed the um, ceremony as well uh, to be fair, I didn't have a tripod with me because last time some security people were overzealous and didn't allow me to bring a tripod into the parks and were pointing at the selfie stick rule because obviously <laughs> it's not a selfie stick, but yeah. it's, it's a discretion and no is no and so we had to leave it in the car. Yeah. So I used, um, this time I didn't even bother to bring a tripod and I used the uh, a brick of Space Mountain on the side. I uh, put my camera against that and my wallet pointed, kept the lens pointed up and just hit record <laughs> and it works. No, no tripod, put my problem. <laughs> um, so I think it's time to go over to um, what the next version of Star Tours is going to bring. Now I know that um, on the, the fencing that was put up like literally minutes after the closing ceremony, um, it's been well, well, as well themed as fencing could actually be. Um, we've got some blue fencing now, which has got some great artwork um, depicting um, previous the previous attraction, Star Tours version one. Yeah. Um, it also has a nice big advertisement for the next adventure, um, and I'm sure the date was something like the 18th of March 2017. Uh, there's no date, just uh, I think March 2017. Just March. Just oh. even the year. Just the year, yeah. But. It's the first time this led to confirm that it's actually Star Tours The Adventures Continue that will come. Before that, it was just a renovation of Star Tours. So that's new. But so it's, we... it's glad to have final official confirmation that it's coming. 
So that would mean then that we hope, well, we're guessing that we're going to have a nearly just a complete replica um, of what's out there already for the different Star Tours Adventure Continues versions across yes. the world. Um, yes. Simon, I know you haven't gone for any spoilers before um, on this attraction. What will, if we say not what will be happening, what would you like to happen on the new version of Star Tours? Well, I think, I mean, obviously we need some projection mapping going on, really, don't we? I mean, we can, what will, projection map onto the X-Wing, we can projection map onto the interior of the, of the Star Speeder. I mean, forget just having a, you know, a pilot and a, and a screen on the other side of me. We'll just, you know, we'll have meteors smashing holes in the, in the interior somewhere. It's, it's all doable. Projection mapping is obviously the way forward in every situation. (laughs) <laughs> can I can I hear you laughing there, Chris? <laughs> uh, absolutely. <laughs> With the level of maintenance happening in the original Star Tours in Paris, let's just see. I love the idea. I just think it would work for one week, and then, of course, something would go wrong. <laughs> and then they wouldn't, re- they wouldn't replace the parts. Yeah. Um, all jokes aside, though, I can imagine if they've done a closing ceremony, they're obviously going to do some kind of grand reopening, or even if it's part oh, yeah. of the um, 25th anniversary celebrations. Um, it's positive pressures. There will be something. There will be some. So it could be that, and I know they've used projection mapping in the past, and we've discussed this over many episodes, um, for Phantom Manor has been, um, they've used that for different events uh, with projection mapping at Halloween, and then uh, Tower of Terror. Uh, with its amazing KFC advert on the side. Um, but projection mapping has been used before for opening day um, events, so I wouldn't be surprised if this, if it possibly was um, to be utilised here. Um, like we said before, it might be that the X-Wing is moved to a different location and we might get something else in its place. Uh, it could be replaced altogether, um, so that could be incorporated in there as well. Um what about the scenes? Because the um, the new version, the adventure that continues, is famous for having ninety six different journeys. I know it goes up and down depending on like which scenes they're using at the time. Um, do you feel that Disneyland Paris would get any unique scenes, or will uh, even if they save them just for the opening few weeks and they're transferred to the other parks around the world? Chris, do you think it's something that they might look into? It's always possible, but since we've just got have been good, given a new Jakku scene, I think by the time uh, Paris opens, it will be just one of the several options that, because at this moment in uh, all the parks worldwide, in Tokyo, Florida and Anaheim, we have uh, the middle scene is being replaced by uh, episode 7 scene with just three different beginning and two different endings, if I recall correctly. So I guess the jacuzzi will just be added as one of the several options, increasing the uh, number of possible scenes to go. But I don't think we'll be seeing any special, unique scenes in Paris, except for French dubbed versions, I guess. Yeah. Now I don't want to go into too much detail really about the new attraction because obviously if you want to know if you want to know more information about the adventure continues, um, you can do a lot of uh, research on Google. Our good old friend, we should be sponsored by Google. 
Um, you don't need Google, just go endorexpress.net. There you go. <laughs> Even better, better than Google. Just go direct to endorexpress.net. Because I know that Simon doesn't want to have many spoilers, um, and we don't want to read through what's already out there anyway, really. Um, one interesting bit is the fact that um, in the new version, and again, I apologise, Simon, if it's a big, big spoiler for you, um, but they've kind of added some extra interaction onto the uh, onto the ride, haven't they, Chris? Yes, um, exactly. If you want to just explain that just briefly so he doesn't spoil it too much. <laughs> well, um... It probably is a the big Empire, spoiler. Well, the Empire is after the star speeder we're on and it's because a rebel spy has added something like secret plans or something and one of the guests on the in the star speeder will be chosen as that rebel spy and will be shown on the screen as well which is quite an interesting thing so I wonder where about obviously um, you haven't well you haven't ridden the attraction have you the newer version so is do you know when the picture is taken is it I live? have no idea when it's taken but uh, it's randomized as far as I heard and sometimes there will be well, there will be no guests chosen and there will be a random picture on there as well okay I could imagine it probably well. If everybody's sitting in the rows, and that's where obviously they're going to be facing the screen ready for um, takeoff or launch, I could imagine that it would probably be at the start when they're all sitting down, getting ready, possibly, uh, when the lights yeah. are still on. Because obviously most people will be looking towards the screen, whereas if it was in the queue area or in the loading bays, people are going to be standing all sorts of directions. Um, but again, it's, it's, it's kind of it shows how things have moved on with the times. Originally in the, uh, in the 90s, or when in the eighties, when this was initially uh, brought to life in America, um, the technology probably wasn't good enough at the time to be able to add randomized pictures of guests to put them in the story, uh, even if that was something they wanted to do. So it, it shows again how the Imagineers are using technology that's available to them now uh, when they updated the attraction. Um, well, yeah, the original uh, Status has film as a film projection. It isn't like a digital screen. Yeah. It's, it's a film reel being moved each time. Like, it's a 70mm negative print. Well, not a negative, a positive print that is being hit in the back of the star speeder and is being replayed every other time. Think... So it's not even like a digital projection. It's all just analog film. So, yeah, it has to be the same. Yeah. And it shows as well, like the reason why it's going to take a full year. Because obviously, if you've got to replace all the old technology with all the brand new digital technology, um, even though they've already got all of the clips, and it would probably just be sent to them via a digital download, possibly, or maybe on some kind of USB stick. It's probably been me being na naive now, but um... yeah, just shove it on Dropbox, you know. <laughs> yeah, it surely if it's on Dropbox, then um, if one of us could hack the account and get hold of the raw files. Ooh, sneaky. <laughs> well, it's it's not that different as far as what I heard. I mean, even NASA uses a form of FTP uh, for the International Space Station, so I'm sure it's like shit, just like a hard drive being yeah. popped in or something. It's <laughs> not that uh, special. Yeah, I mean, I know cinemas uh, for, for a lot of digital films now. They just get hard drives turned up in the post or SSDs. So. Yeah, with a passport protect. Yep, plug it in. <laughs> 
There we go. So that's all they need to do once they've put in the digital projection and uh, sorted the 3D glasses out. Surely that's all they need to do. So do you, again, do you know of or do you think that they'll do many changes to the queue area or will it be totally revamped? Or Well, the basic architecture will be the same, which for Sector 2 is quite special because I've been building a Sector 2 diorama with all of the original action figures which will release around 2000. And four, um, it's it's very very accurate replica. I take like hundreds of pictures. Wow! So, are any of these pictures available, or is it just a private um, project? That oh, there are a lot of them are on Under Express, using articles and stuff. I think I have over twelve twelve hundred pictures of statues alone. Well, you now know what I'm going to be doing when I finish recording this tonight. I'm going to be looking yes. at that website. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um. What they will do is, uh, especially Sector 2, will be cleaned up completely because all of the repair aspects will be taken out. And it's uh, what what's most famous for airports now is security. So G240, the repair, G290, the repair droid, will be changed into a security droid. <laughs> and, ups, yeah, and there will be uh, like the screen with the G240. Toward fixing the RX pilot uh, on the corner of sector of sector two will be replaced by uh, a screen with, which had people walking by, like a window, making it feel even bigger. So everything will look very, very new and shiny, which I think is the worst thing about Star Trek: The Adventures Continue, is that we're losing the 80s aesthetic. Everything. It's like a prequel and everything looks shiny and new. And there will be even some cameos by some old friends, which I won't spoil for Simon. No, don't spoil it. Oh, thank you. (laughs) That's that's something you you do wish for, though, isn't it? You hope that they um, they do kind of have a throwback to the original attraction and the original uh, trilogy of Star Wars as well, just so you don't take everything out from it. Um, and I think Disney are quite good at doing that. They're quite good at having the little uh, link back to the original. Um, so that's something we're looking forward to because it means that it's something else that we can look for in the queue area uh, and when we're on the attraction as well, which adds to the re rideability even if we're going to have 96 combinations that we could possibly go for. Yeah. Right, we're going to go over to listener opinions now. Um, this time, Cafe Fantasia has emailed us not surprisingly, but this time it's a lot of information, a lot of facts. Now, a lot of these um, are really interesting, and some of the bits we've mentioned already, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to link to these uh, on our website. I'm going to put them down as official show notes. It's probably the first time we've used show notes ever on a podcast episode. Uh, I'm going to read a couple out for you because they are really interesting. Um, It says, The flight simulators used in Star Tours were built by Rediffusion, a simulation, a company based near Gatwick Airport in West Sussex, founded in 1946. Um, The simulation business was eventually sold to a Texas company. Um, But like I said before, the... um those simulators are used uh, a military grade simulator so it isn't like they've just went to a roller coaster build or theme park attraction company and said right we want a simulator for this they have actually managed to source and work with companies that are producing like military grade materials and equipment so it just so again it shows they, they're looking for the best of the best and they want to make sure that they can have um the attraction matching what um 
what well making sure it felt like what a star speed of 3000 would actually feel like it goes on to say the original star 2 as a disneyland cost 32 million dollars which was almost twice the cost of the building of the whole of disneyland park or well, the whole of disneyland sorry in 1955 which was 17 million dollars so it just goes to show they're investing disney were investing at the time um a lot of money on this new attraction there's one there which is an interesting link between Star Tours and the Big Bang Theory, um, a show that I do like to watch uh, every now and then. It says the Droid Rooms track heard in the queue was uh, by composer Richard Bellis, um, and the attempt at, uh, created something that sounded similar to 1982. Thomas Dolby hit She Blinded Me With Science. Um, the original theme song uh, for the Big Bang Theory was She Blinded Me With Science, obviously now replaced um, with the Bare Naked Ladies. Right over to Jeff, uh, DLP Town Square. We're going to read his email out. Um, it's not as long as usual. It's only half a, well, just about a full A4 sheet of paper. Um, but it's very good. It's full of information. So my name is Jeff, and I run a website called DLP OK. Uh, he's just messing. Way back in 1999, on his first trip to Disneyland Paris, he was blown away by Star Tours. He still is, uh, just to a lesser extent these days. Obviously, it's now closed. Whereas most Disneyland Paris rides remove you from that real world for a few moments, Star Tours makes you part of a different world. Um, he goes on to explain, in Pirates and Phantom Manor, you take on the role of an observer, whereas in Big Thunder Mountain, it uh, takes you on a ride. The castle is still visible. You are still in that Disney park. Star Tours excels at making the, sorry, you the part of the story. You feel like you're going on that trip to Endor. The queue line feels somewhat like an airport with a various and very iconic announcement noises. When he first went on, um, you often queued the entire queue, including the outdoor section, something I didn't even know existed really because I've never queued in the outdoor section before. Uh, now you only, uh, or you previously only used the final room, which is a shame. The room is C3PO and Admiral Akbar is probably one of the best in the resort. The entire queue is entertaining. It really does take the Disney ethos of making the queue to be part of the attraction and run with it. It's great fun. Uh, next, his favourite part of the ride is the retro 80s or 90s safety video. It does look dated, but isn't Star Wars supposed to be set a long time ago? It's a fun safety video with lots of visual gags with Chewbacca and Ewoks. The old camera, when being reminded not to use flash, a particular highlight. Bit of a museum piece as well, probably now. The ride itself is fantastic. The sensation of going at light speed is one that he absolutely loves. And the Death Star battle was a childhood dream coming true. The entire experience feels plausible and that's where it excels over all other Disney attractions. It's plausible experience that could happen if you uh, inhabited the Star Wars universe. Um, he doesn't think there's another ride that places you in that situation in the resort as successfully. Um, the downside, if there has to be one, for someone that has just travelled to Endor, there's no hint of it upon exit. Is it so hard to create a jungle paradise? Come on, Disney, that's just lazy. In short, Star Tours, I'll miss you. Our trips to Endor were great fun. At least there's only a year until we get back on that Star Speeder again. Well, Jeff is wrong, isn't he? <laughs> About, uh, we don't go to Endor, we return back to Earth because everything went wrong. There's a whole thing about the attraction. No? <laughs> Sorry, Jeff. That's I have to say, actually, I, I did always wonder whether whether that port that we end up in was, was actually Endor, or whether it was meant to be just just sort of the home return port. I did oh, always wonder that. Port. Is that sort of left ambiguous, perhaps? It's the same port. Interesting. It does look the same. Would, would they have the same 
technology? Would they have the same architecture on a different planet, if you will? And why would you want to land in it at the port that looked like that, possibly, if you were on the tour? I don't know. I can see where you're coming know. from, Simon. But then again... Because I, I suppose the other thing is, it just sort of looks like it's just randomly floating in space. I don't know whether I'm missing something. It just always felt like I was docking in some sort of spaceport still. So I just sort of assumed, I don't know, maybe it's a spaceport above Endor, and then you get off that and then get on a, another little shuttle that'll take you down to the forest moon. And even a smaller know. shuttle then. <laughs> yeah. Now, it's, it's supposed to be the same airport, which okay. is what kind of bugs me most about... Uh, the adventures continue, is that you land on Coruscant or you land on uh, other locations, and then all of a sudden you're back to Earth again. While with Star Tours, you depart from Earth and you're being returned to Earth. So, that's a bit weird. Yeah, yeah but like, I suppose Space Mountain, you don't you don't depart in the supernova, do you? True. <laughs> but Space Mountain is weird. <laughs> Is there potential here that obviously the American parks are getting Star Wars land um, and because of the location of where Star Tours is in Disneyland Park, is there a potential there that you could actually make the um, the guests actually exit when you get to a certain location? Absolutely. There's a lot of empty space behind Star Tours. Uh, there used to be uh, the Pavilion, which was a VIP area that companies could rent. And uh, Disneyland Paris itself used for events like the fashion show for the 20th anniversary extended event and the dinner afterwards or the premiere of Ragged Wealth on one of the uh, the Christmas event of 2012. So that has been torn down. And the funny thing is to to enter that uh, pavilion, you had to enter Star Tours went uh, in the fast pass lane and instead of going up the stairs next to C-2PO well not next to C-2PO next to the Mon Calamari you had to go left to the doors and then you went to a small hallway and you went into the tent so that area has been cleared completely uh, there's a big parking lot behind the station Of uh, you have of course the Captain EO's theater which is kind of not being used now uh, the pizza planet I haven't ever seen it open so it's all very it's a lot of space they could repurpose into one big Star Wars land which make it unique and of course like the Hogwarts the Hogwarts Express in uh, Orlando Florida you enter the Hogwarts Express and you enter in an entire other park it would be amazing to have that as well here to exit the Star Speeder and enter Star Wars Land. You have traveled to Star Wars Land with the Star Speeder 3000. Well, 1010. Yeah. Which would uh, be quite amazing. Would... That would be incredible. However, yeah. Andrew, yeah. we have, we've missed the obvious thing here. Go on. Projection map just down the corridor. So when a Star Speeder lands, just shoving a different projection mapping down the corridor. Bit cheap, <laughs> but there you are. Now, You've arrived. If there's different endings, do, do, do they all have the same ending, or is there, are, there just, are there random endings as well on it's the adventure? Different destinations, isn't it? Yeah, random. Uh, there are random um, destinations. So, one of them is on Coruscant. One of them is, I believe, on a starship. So then you just project map Coruscant on the walls, Naboo, Tatooine, wherever you want to go. Yeah, because if they were to build. 
uh, Star Wars land, and that would be the place they would put it. Um, and you're saying the exit. I, I really hope they do. Uh, if they were to exit the Star Tours uh, queue, uh, well, uh, once they've been on the attraction, then again, you would have you you would have have to have the end of the attraction the same every single time to make the story continue. Or like like Jeff said, well, not Jeff, I called you Jeff then. Like Simon's just said, um, you would need something that kind of managed to program with the attraction. But then if you've got six different star speeders um, and each one will be completely random, you're never going to be able to control which guests are seeing which part of it. So it gets very confusing and very complicated. <laughs> if you were going to tailor every exit to each star speeder, it would get very confusing. I'm sure there's a logistical way of, of working something clever out. Possibly could be linked in with the magic band. Different, different pathways going on. Yeah. Light could, up a different pathway. You just could have move a... some electric barriers, just guide people. Oh, no, you go down this pathway. Okay, <laughs> you lot go down here. You could have a different exit from each star speed, I suppose. Couldn't you, like I say, you're going... You don't, you don't exit all in the same room. You exit down your own individual one, and the random part is also still part of the exit as well as being part of the footage on the screen that will make it even more confusing than the exits of um come on um it's in there the elevator wait tower of terror <laughs> um they were on the event of ratatouille the launch event tower of terror was open for uh the guests for the vip guests yeah, yeah, yeah. and i have never done uh, tower of terror before and the very first time I've ever done Top of Terror was that night, and I was all by myself. <laughs> oh, crikey. That was terrifying. I had no idea what was coming for me. I didn't know any of the queue. I was by myself in the elevator, and I had no idea where to... You know, it's all dark. You're all alone. No idea what was coming for you. That was quite weird. That's amazing, and... isn't it? To do it on your that own. That sounds like... Uh, oh... I can imagine it would be terrifying. Wow, yeah. that's... I mean, that's also major bragging rights. <laughs> Add that to the list. Nah. <laughs> I'm fine, thing. <laughs> I have to be humble. <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's what I found was... Okay, which way do I have to go now? Because there's some, like, stairs going up, stairs going down. I was kind of lost for a second. That, that, so that's, quite, that. that's quite correct, actually, because all the corridors are like a weird yellowy, beigey colour, and it all just kind of merges into one of them. Unless there's somebody else you could do to follow, it probably yeah, is exactly. quite easy to get lost. And if you're on your own, obviously, you probably go through a fire exit and you're standing on a balcony looking down over uh, motors action. Yeah, you have no idea where you're going to end up. But yeah, um, I think... Because of the, we've got the luxury of having our Star Tours building at the edge of the park, and like you were saying, there's not if there's nothing being used um, over the over the uh, railroad. Um, I think we're in a really good position that we don't have to move anything, because uh, I know some Star Tours are either being they're knocking attractions down around it so they could fit a Star Wars landing. Um, I wouldn't be surprised. Well, I'm not sure about this. So if they had to move um, a Star Tours attraction to fit in in the plans as well. Uh, in other parks so uh, let's go on to Michael McNeil uh, his email uh, Simon do you want to read this one out? I certainly can so Michael says I love the for 380s pre-boarding video and I will miss it also the jingle that plays before and after announcements is iconic to me I immediately think Star Tours when hearing it 
Last year, in an attempt to discover just how intense the star speed of simulator movements really are, I made an app which records my phone's accelerometer readings while on the ride, then made a web page that played back the crazy movements in sync with the on-ride video from YouTube. Uh, He says he's planning on cleaning it up a little, and he's going to post it on Twitter very soon, at Sneaky Michael, in case you're interested. He's wondering whether the refurbishment will just change the on-ride footage and the technology to support 3D, or whether they'll go all out and clone the other park, Star Tours, Adventure Continues, Attractions. Um, well, I, uh, I think we've probably answered that with, uh, with the earlier stuff. And yeah, get excited. Full adventures continue. Now, I've actually looked at this since receiving the email, and he has, in fact, published it. Um, I can't remember. Some, I think the Twitter handle is published this on something to do with Fundamessa. Um, I'm trying to look for it now, actually, because I was on it the other day. I should have really favorited it. Um, but like it's, like he said, he's basically, I think it was on the last tour or his last ride, very close to the final call um, for the attraction. Um, he has done what he said. He's, he's kind of got the accelerometer readings there. And it's only when you look at this. Now, Chris, correct me if I'm wrong, but it does look like uh, it does match the movements of the simulator. And if it, if yes, it is correct, quite accurate. If it is correct, then it is, like you say, as their crazy movements, it's so. I know it's on a smaller scale and it maybe amplifies the movements a little bit, but some of the movements are so extreme. Um, it, it is a surprise you don't notice these as much when you're on the attraction. Yeah. Oh, I have another fun trivia effect. If you drive to Disneyland Paris by car and you follow the GPS, you uh, go past the Route Nationale. Uh, if, if you, you don't, don't follow it correctly, let me say, and you drive towards the hotel to Martin Lavallee, it's first. Uh, you enter a roundabout and then you see a, quite a bit of the backstage area and Space Mountain quite big. What I didn't realize, and I'm looking now at the 3D version of Apple Maps, uh, it's the backstage of Star Tours. So oh. there's a lot of space, and even the uh, Christmas tree is being kept outside there <laughs> in parts, uh, very close to Star Tours. So if you can go, if you have an Apple device, check out the Apple Maps and check out Star Tours in 3D. And the entire park is in 3D as well, which is quite impressive. It is. I've, um, I know it sounds quite sad now, actually, thinking about it out loud. Um, but there's many a time I'll see myself just searching for Disneyland Paris on uh, Apple Maps um, and just kind of driving around, seeing what there is. Um, I've never noticed that Star Tours celebrates Christmas all year round, though. <laughs> I've never seen it until now. <laughs> Um, I'll definitely be checking that out later on. Um, close to the end of the show now. It's the point where we read out the iTunes reviews. Um, it's a five-star one. We've got one, but it's quite a good one, actually. It's quite a long one. Um, a great DLP podcast by Mason 91 um, I just discovered this podcast recently as a huge Disney Parks fan about to make a trip to Disneyland Paris. I wanted something to get me over the edge, excited and ready. And this did the trick. As a more often and recent visitor of the American parks, this podcast has been giving me a nice reminder of what's in Paris, what I haven't seen yet, and some really interesting bits of information I'm going to definitely pass off as my own to my own family. The hosts are great, just enthusiastic about the parks, and not at all high and mighty. We know it. Um, we know way more about Disney than you types. Just sharing their excitement and interesting information. Thanks for making a podcast about parks that don't get too much love. You and Dedicate to DLP are getting me hyped right now. Keep it up and thank you so much. 
Um, sadly, I don't think they're going to get much information out of us this time. Obviously, we've got loads of information, loads of interest and facts about Star Tours, but it's something they're not going to actually be able to use as it's going to be closed probably when they're on their visit. True. <laughs> yeah, so, sorry, this one's, even though it's really, really useful, um, if you go in a time machine and go back a few months, you could use this to look, find all the different Easter eggs and find out more about the trip. But sadly, you won't be able to use it in the next year it's or so. It's just nostalgia now. Yeah, it's just one or of those for the nostalgia. <laughs> Or check out my video, of course, which has all the Easter eggs in the video. There we go. You don't even, it saves money having to build a time machine. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. who even needs time machines, right? <laughs> So yeah, um, it's this point. I just want to, uh, before we sign off, before we explain what's happening in our next episode, Chris, I'm going to give you the opportunity just to explain what you're doing related to Star Tours now that it, the ride and the attraction has now closed. Um, what kind of things are you doing to mark the occasion? Because I know you're still doing something um, to mark it. Yes. Uh, my video series is called Star Tours Before the Adventures Continue. And... As I've hinted to before, I've recorded every little detail of the queue as if it was a movie. Um, it's a five-part series, and the big one should hit today, if today is a Tuesday, and where we are, where we show the entire video of uh, the entire loop of Tribune RTD2, beginning with the commercials. We have the music playing, um, so, so it's in an a very exciting way to see the entire movie as it is in French. Weirdly, I've tried to use it with the English audio, but the timing is different in the English version and in the French version, which I find very quite interesting. Next week we should have the Sector 2 video, and afterwards we will have um, the trip to Endo itself, followed by some nice shots of Roxanne in the stars in the Stargate, and the credits for everyone who helped to create this enormous project, which I have been working on uh, for over a year now, planning and trying to get permissions um, with several, several departments. So a big thanks as well to Disney Belgium for helping me out quite a bit, to the people at Disneyland Paris, uh, Matthias uh, for the communication department, and of course everyone, like... Uh, David, uh, or David who works at uh, Disney Imagineering for his knowledge. So we went through unbelievable amounts of research, even uh, getting in touch with the people who, the lead Imagineering people of, uh, which is the official name for scene one with C-3PO and R2-D2. There isn't. So it's called the maintenance hangar as far as everyone. Yeah is officially naming it as far as that so a lot of work went into that and uh, we're releasing that one for free uh, on Android Express it's on YouTube and it's my little gift to the community because that video of capturing this will be my memory of how I will remember Star Tours forever now it's closed so yeah exactly are you going to be, obviously you're releasing them step by step or part by part over the next few yes. weeks? Is every the, week on a Tuesday. Yeah, are you, going to, are you going to put them all together to make one big video so fans that want to watch it all as one can do that? Or is it going to be kept as separate parts? 
it will be kept to separate parts because uh, else it would be around 40 minutes long and some parts will be available for viewing on mobile devices but things like the um trip to ender won't be available because of copyrighted music of course yeah and youtube's uh rules of uh how to work with these things <laughs> um so that's the reason mostly for splitting everything up and of course it takes like a few days of full-time editing for one video but uh for me i will might to make a version for myself uh but let's uh for everyone else it will be uh youtube and it will be available all for free and everyone can enjoy it Sounds really good. Now I don't want to. I don't want to spoil anything, but I have seen a couple of uh, preview clips uh, from the different videos that are going to be released, um, and it's so spectacular. And in fact, it's probably going to make you even more nostalgic and more upset that the attraction is closed because it just looks so beautiful. And the way you've shot it and the way you've edited it together um, is magical. Um, so I'm going to take this opportunity to say thank you very much, Chris, for joining us today. Um, uh, you're very welcome. It was my pleasure geeking out about Star Tours. Uh, it's been it fantastic so to hear all the knowledge you've got. I know. I can imagine that um, if we said that we had about four hours to record this, we could have asked you so many more questions. Um, and like I said at the start, you're now officially, even if you haven't signed a contract, you are now officially <laughs> our uh, correspondent, all things Star Tours and Star Wars. Um, so we're definitely um, going to invite you back in the future. Um, whether that's before next year, uh, I really hope so. Uh, but if not, you're definitely coming back on once the adventure has started uh, to continue so to speak thank you i'm honored <laughs> no you should be indeed <laughs> i'm only joking um so it's now time for us to wrap things up so the focus of the next episode of the magical dlp podcast will see us discussing round two of our attraction of the year polls uh, which we have been conducting on twitter i think there's something like two or three more uh, matchups left of round two and then we'll discuss what the who the winners and who the losers were uh, so let us know your opinions we'll be releasing uh, all this information about the round two winners and losers um well they're currently available on twitter if you go through our twitter feed and follow the hashtag dlp poll um but you can also check out the website magicaldlp.co.uk because we'll list them all there uh, before we record the podcast and you can get your opinions in um, about which one do you think should have stayed, which one did you vote for, etc. Um, if you've got any suggestions of any future podcast episodes you would like us to cover, uh, attraction-wise or hotel-wise, restaurant-wise, then you can email us podcast at magicaldlp.co.uk. That's the same email address if you want to send us a review. Uh, don't forget to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. Um, I found out the other day that in the family, I think it's the kids and family section, we are currently quite high up on the What's Hot at the Moment uh, section on the podcast app for iTunes. So the I mean, more... I'd say we're very hot. That's, that's very accurate. <laughs> we're very hot. Um, this computer is getting hot because it's been recording for more than two hours. Um, Whoops. So what's going to happen is, um, like I said, the more reviews we get, the more um, shares we get, the higher up the rankings we'll get, which means we'll have more audience. And we keep saying that the more people listen, the more we're going to record because we know that's something we need to do more of. Um, we do. We know we do. So have you got a final word you want to say, Simon? I'm just going to miss startles. Mm. Do you want some tissues? Uh, yeah. I would actually. I would. I would. Gonna miss Captain Rex. Gonna miss the '80s video. But you know, suppose it's time. It was you know, it was uh, old technology, so to speak. 
Uh, we've got new 3D, 4K or whatever stuff coming now. Multiple different journeys, adventures, I suppose, is the correct term that we could go on. And I'm looking forward to March 2017. There we go. Um, anything you want to say, Chris, just before we sign off? Uh, exactly what Simon said. Um, I'm really going to miss it, but we'll see how it goes. Uh, and one more thing, may the force be with you all. May the force be with you. Hey, sorry folks, I'm sure to do better next time. It was my first flight and I'm still getting used to my program.